Radio Show brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence and background checks available, unprospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2.com. Today we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Hey, thanks for joining me. Again, my name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host here for the next hour on the Talent Talk Radio Show. I have uh, two great guests here for you today. We've also got a spectacular lineup for the rest of the year and into 2016, so we hope you'll come back and join us uh, each week here, uh, either what, through the podcast or, or live on uh, on Tuesdays at 1 o'clock. So in case this is the first time that uh, you're coming in to hear the show, give you a quick uh, rundown on how it works. So basically, we feature a wide range of guests who care about talent management, leadership development, and company culture. And in the business world, talent really has a couple different meanings. First is how it relates to success and how talented people achieve that success. And the second is how talent relates to human resources and how HR leaders find the best candidates for their companies. So this show really looks to explore those two areas, along with how talented individuals can impact a company's culture. Uh, The guests on the show typically are CEOs and HR execs, entrepreneurs, coaches, authors, uh, just all sorts of uh, fantastic leaders from just about every industry you can think of. So what typically happens is I'm at a networking event or an industry conference or I run across someone on Twitter like we have uh, for today, um, and I have the privilege of meeting these people. And I created this forum to allow you to listen in our dialogue learn some practical advice on how to cultivate talent, develop leaders, manage culture, and most importantly, impact your own career in a positive way. So it's really the goal goal of the show is you might hear one little nugget and you can take that back with you and make a real difference uh, back in your world. I want to thank everyone who's tuning in live here every Tuesday. If you have a question, you can tweet it for our guests and uh, submit them via Twitter. So hopefully you have a Twitter account and you can just go on there, type in your question, add the at people G2 and the hashtag talent talk. My producer, Mike, will try to feed me in the best questions and we'll work them into the show. We also really love uh, guest suggestions and other general qu- questions or topics that you might like to see us discuss. You can always send those to us anytime. Um, we're happy to take a look at those. Don't forget, you can uh, tune into this show via podcast. It's actually how most people uh, interact with the show. In fact, as of last week, there were over 240,000 of you that downloaded shows uh, last week. Thank you so much for all that support. And we also have a growing audience now on iHeartRadio where we are syndicated. And you can pick up that uh, that show there on uh, any device, anywhere in any way, in any way, shape, or form, iHeart kind of gives us that flexibility to be anywhere, whereas the uh, podcast uh, on iTunes is your your Apple devices or directly through iTunes on your computer. So, uh, And if none of those things work for you, we also have TalentTalkRadio.com, where you can get any of the shows anytime you want. But let's go ahead and get to my uh, first guest, um, or to the show in general. So my first guest will be Diana um, Boer. She's a CEO of Boer Research Institute as well as an author, speaker, and consultant. And then my second guest who's uh, in studio is, uh, uh, is it Raina or Rena? Rena? Mm-hmm. Oh, see, I see. I already screwed up there, Paul. <laughs> Going first, thank you. Vice President of Sales of Nature's Corpse International. She's also, um, we're going to get into deep with her about her book and all kinds of other interesting things. So I look forward to speaking to her in the second half of the show, but let's go ahead and get to our first one. Uh, Diana, welcome. Uh, thank you. It's great to be with you, Chris. 
So tell uh, everyone here a little bit about yourself, what you're currently doing, and, uh, and what you're working on. Well, I am a communication strategist. I work with organizations on clear communication and just being clear in their day-to-day operations. Well, that certainly is a huge problem for a lot of companies. I hear that all the time. Uh, either they don't communicate effectively enough or they don't do it, don't do it enough in general. So that sounds like an interesting topic. Um, right. I, I know you've written. And if it's not a, if it's not a whole corporation. Sometimes it's just the executive or a professional who's trying to get to the executive rank, and they want a, a stronger executive presence. Right. So right. whether they're leading a whole team or they're just trying to lead themselves to get to that point, uh, we can help them. Now, you may have broken a record for our show. I see here you've written 46 books. I'm still trying to write my first book, and you've done 46. So uh, many <laughs> of them... Something when you're flying around the country, sitting in those airports and hotel rooms. Well, are you supposed to be writing a book when you do that? Because I'm usually playing Candy Crush. So I think, I think I've just now figured out my problem. Uh, so many of them have to do with being effective uh, communicators and uh, with good communication strategies. So why have you chosen to really focus in on this subject? Well, I think that basically communication is the basic business act. If you think about it, nothing happens in business until somebody communicates. They either send an email to seal the deal, they send a report to make somebody makes a decision based on it, they they write up the contract, they they do a presentation that is the basis for somebody's decision. But if you think about it, nothing gets done until somebody communicates. And, and even in your personal life, all of your relationships are the sum total of your conversations stacked end to end. And so it's just the essence of, of everything we do and everything we are and all the meaningful relationships we have. And, and in this current day and age of the last, let's say, especially the last decade, communication has really started to change, um, really shortened. It's, uh, you know, Twitter and text messaging, whether how we communicate, how many words or characters we're allowed to use in particular forums, um, even sort of sort of changing our languages going from, I use the word you all the time for Y-O-U, probably more times per day when I text than I do uh, the written out the proper way. So as we start to kind of change some of these inner personal forms of communication, uh, how do you feel about them, you know, as they kind of transfer into the business world is this a good thing does this make us better communicators more clear because we have less you know to get someone's attention or is this kind of made the problem worse well i think technology definitely has changed the way we communicate and it can be good or bad but the tool is irrelevant if it's used well the problem is that i don't think most people think and differentiate about which tool to use for what purpose or what person Uh, But I think it makes a dramatic difference because technology has driven the way we communicate and made it more complex, and it's made everybody more more aggressive and made the change, the the outcome or the result of the change more dramatic. If you if you think about it, because we're more connected around the world, and you can say something, and within seconds, somebody's stock on the other side of the world drops. You know, a CEO can speak, and all of a sudden, somebody goes out and I mean, it can start a war. It can it can make somebody's division collapse immediately. Mm-hmm. And it's just because of that connection and because of the speed of things, and or you can do something unintentionally because you don't know how to use it appropriately, 
and cause ramifications around the world. Right. So it's not the tool itself that is the danger. It's it's not knowing how to be differentiating about it. And and I think also it's harder to get noticed. You know, if you have a company or you you want to build a brand, you want to stand out, it's that everybody now is out there and can get out there aggressively with their message. And because everybody is screaming, listen to me, listen to my message, look at my service, look at my product, it's harder to get heard. It's harder to get your message across. And so you just have to keep on trying and trying and doing more unique things and and shaping your message in different ways. So those are some ways that I think technology has has dramatically affected the limited way we used to do it 10 years ago. Right. Now, you kind of talked about the technology and some of these changes that has allowed us to get our message out there in more ways, and that may just be creating more noise. Um, But if we kind of look, go back to what might have been old school communication with you know the, the most effective way may have been face to face right you go knock on someone's door you go have an appointment a meeting and you try to converse with them do you, is that still the most effective way or or you know are we are things changing are there other ways that are just as effective or more effective if you're trying to have a an important conversation well i don't think you can say across the board that one is more effective than the other it just depends on business. For example, if you need a reference for something and and people need to look at that document over and over, it's far more effective to write it, but you've got to write it clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, if you need something fast, it may be more appropriate to text it than to try to get a hold of them and, and make an appointment so that both of you are free real time to sit down and have that face-to-face. So again, it depends on what your goal is. But again, and what somebody's preference is. If, for example, I was doing a speech with a an executive, at uh, and the speech was in the I don't know what you call it the executive suites of a big pro athlete stadium, football stadium. And after the speech, I was walking with this executive around the stadium over to a, a box suite where we were going to be having lunch. And somebody sent this person a, a text, and, and he read it, and he said, why are they texting me? I'm out walking. I need this information later in, in an email because, obviously, you know, he needed to refer to it. And how to get, he didn't know how to get it from that text message into a permanent database. How is this person going to use the information and not thinking a text is totally inappropriate for sending this type of information that will be referenced over and over? Well, and you get into the kind of complexities that we see with a lot of companies right now is that they're struggling with how do you communicate with your the company at large who are you communicating with? So there are people that would love to have that text message and that is the perfect way for them to digest it. And you have another person uh, who wants an email. You have somebody else who needs, you know, to have a meeting about it where they can ask questions and digest the information. And those typically fall down some uh, generational lines, although you have a lot of people that are bleeding in between all those lines. Um, And so companies are now kind of if they want to be effective or trying to do many of those things at the same time. Um, it sounds like for that person, it would have been great if they would have gotten the email and that uh, the sender would have known that that was a person that, you know, a text message wasn't going to be favorable, but th- that, that gets into 
and 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 what they need. So right, and the, the type of message, not so mm-hmm. much the individual preference, but if you're thinking, all right, this is this is instruction. This is somebody's contact information. They are going to be needing this to refer to over and over because because I'm giving them instruction for doing something. They don't need this today while they're out walking around. Right. <laughs> you know, this is something that's going to go in their database that they're going to refer to, and they don't need it for two weeks. Why would you send that in a text? You know, they're, they're not thinking. They're thinking, what is easy for me as right. a sender? Thinking about is how is this person going to use this information, and that should be their their clue. Right. What's going to be easy for the other person? Which is just sort of sales one on one. Which is you know, what does the other person want? You know, what what are their what are their needs and problems, and and not what do you want out of the deal? So right. Right. And, and, you know, the same thing happens in presentations. You know, for years I've coached executives on giving presentations, and they know what they don't want when somebody's presenting to them. They don't want somebody to go through all that this is how I got there and this is how I made the decision and then finally get to the bottom line. Yet, when they do a presentation, what happens is they frequently will do, well, look, we looked at this problem and here's how we came up, and they go through far too much background information before they get to the point. And they they hate it when people do that to them, but right. they in turn turn around and do it to other people. Well, because their part's important, right? <laughs> <laughs> so you know, and, and you see salespeople. You mentioned salespeople; they do that very frequently. Mm-hmm. They will go in to make a pitch on their product or their service, and they will start off with, "Here's all about me. Let me tell you a little bit about our company. Let me tell you about our clients. Let me tell you about." And, the, and of course, the listeners sitting there saying, "No, no, no! I want you to tell me, tell me what you can do for me, <laughs> how right. you can solve my problems." And they just reverse it. They they just do it backwards. Well, you bring up a good point too, because often one of the struggles that a salesperson can have is trying to get the other person to clearly articulate what it is that they're actually having a problem with. Um, they very often don't know what they don't know, and they don't. Uh, have an understanding of what's possible, um, or even what's really the you know the real driving issue. They just may be told, "Well, my boss told me we need a new vendor in this area." So, do you have any tips on how you can get people to be more clear uh, when they're communicating back to you when you're trying to understand a problem? Definitely, I, I think the whole thing centers around collaboration um, and asking questions. I, in the the last book that I wrote, "What More Can I Say." And it is all about uh, the nine tips or the nine principles of clear communication, and that is that's principle number two. It is learned that to learn that communication is not about what you want to say, but what the other person needs to tell you. And most people, when they think communication, they think, "What do I need to say? Now, how do I go in with my message?" And how do I shape it? But really what you want to do is to go in with questions. Be known for the questions you ask. And so when you start off a conversation, whether it's in sales or with your team or as a leader, I think the, the initial preparation should be these are the questions when you ask their input on the problem. Well, you bring up a, what, what would you like to see as an outcome, et cetera? Yeah. Well, you bring up a great point, something that I am always shocked at that people don't do when they're going in to have a conversation with somebody, especially, let's say, in a sales um, arena, or you're going to have a difficult conversation with somebody, is to, to write out what are the questions that you want to ask and what are the possible questions that the other person might ask you. It begins to give you so much clarity into 
what might be the things we're going to talk about and being prepared for those things, being prepared for the 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 good or the bad or the ugly that might come up in a conversation. I, I, it almost I scratched my head when I have people tell me they walked in, they, they did no preparation, they made no attempt to guess what might come up in the conversation, and then they walk out of there usually with nothing resolved, and usually it's worse than it was when they walked in the door, right? <laughs> True, true. Uh, I know when we work with sales teams, it shocks them when I say, all right, here's a format for presenting your your product and how to think on your feet. But what likely questions will you get? And they just stare like, oh, I hadn't thought of that. Right. I said, well, don't you typically get questions? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, what do they typically ask? And they'll just start throwing out these questions. You know? <laughs> and I get a, a list. Now, 20 or 30 questions, well, what do you usually answer? And it's like they start from scratch in each client meeting, and they've never thought of composing the answers to those questions and coming up with solid answers that they can give each time to those same questions, even though they arise every single time. That's really an effective thing that a sales manager can do is to really help them help develop those answers and make sure that they're consistent across the sales team uh, communications. And that's, that gets back into what your whole core thing of here being clearly communicating and allowing everyone in your team to answer differently is, is probably not going to help that, uh, that endeavor very much. <laughs> All right. And, and right now I'm working with a, a nonprofit who has done a survey and the result uh, among employees, and the survey came back very negatively. And so they're wondering, you know, how can I talk with some of the people that are involved? And we have to give them negative feedback and get them to change. So how do we start the conversation? And, of course, my, my advice to them is to, to ask these people who are involved, how did this project go? How did you think the project went? If you were going to redo this project, what would you do differently? What did you learn about this project that would lead you to handle it in a different way? What steps would you take in the, the initial part of the project? In other words, you structure your whole feedback to them with a series of questions to help them self-analyze. I even wrote out, I suggested, and, and what more can I say, I actually have a template in there to handle negative conversations because that's, that's the difficult, most, one of the most difficult things for managers. That's, if you ask HR people, they'll tell you that most of their work comes from managers who don't like to have those negative conversations. And that, that's what they say. Hey, let's call HR and have them come have this conversation with this person that right. to me. We've got to have, we've got to dismiss somebody. Hey, let's call the HR people. Let them dismiss this person. They don't like having those negative conversations. But if they would write out, just what you mentioned, Chris, if they would write out the opening lines and write out the questions they're going to ask, they would be surprised how much easier it is to have those conversations. Rather than having to preach the sermon, they ask the questions and let the people analyze, because most of the time they can figure out what's gone wrong and what results they need to have. Really sounds like we've, we've kind of hit three things here that are pretty important. The first was, you know, to make sure you're, you're communicating in a style or in, in a way that's effective or that makes the most sense for that particular message or piece of information. You know, the next thing was to ask good questions or to think about those questions ahead of time. And then the last thing you just said, I think is really, really important, which is to take the temperature of the other person. 
you, you might think you're walking in to have a difficult conversation and you ask them, how do they think it went? And they go, I think it went horrible. I did a terrible job. Well, <laughs> you're not having a difficult conversation anymore. You're not bringing them, you're kind of pulling them back up. Okay, I'm glad you recognize that. Here's what we need to work on. Here are the problems we've identified. And it's a completely different conversation than what you thought it was going to be. And of course, if they say I, everything went great, I deserve a raise and a promotion. Yeah, it's, you're going to have a lot different conversation. But yeah, taking that temperature of the person can be huge. Yes, it, then it becomes a problem-solving and a collaborative effort in turning the situation around. Well, we're almost out of time here. I want to make sure we ask you one of our favorite questions, which is, uh, is there a book that you're reading right now? Which I don't know if you actually read books since you write so many of them, but if you do <laughs> have a book that our audience might want to check out, what, what would that be? Yes, I, I do. I just finished a book, uh, Essentialism, The Discipline of Pursuit of Less, that I, I loved, and I just now uh, started one uh, just yesterday, On Fire at Work by Eric Chester, uh, about employee engagement. Uh, so I, I love both of those books. The Essentialism that I just finished is about taking something out of your life so you can add new things to your life, about simplifying. So I, I love both of those books. That sounds fascinating. And uh, just a reminder, everyone, we do put a recap of all the shows on the PeopleG2.com blog, and we have there all the books that any of our guests mention with a direct link. You can go buy it and, and read away. So really appreciate you being on the show. Um, how can people get a hold of you or learn more about your company if they're interested. Yes, my website is Boer Research, just like my name. It's B O O H E R, BoerResearch.com. And that's 817 283 2333. Diana, thank you so much for being on the show today. I know we, there's a lot we didn't get to, so hopefully we have you come back at some point and we can get to the rest of it, uh, maybe uh, in 2016. Sure, I'd love to, Chris. All right. Up next, we'll have uh, Raina Cohen uh, first. She'll join me after this quick commercial break. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Welcome back to Talent Talk. As a reminder, if you have a question for my next guest, you can send it via Twitter, at PeopleG2. Use that hashtag Talent Talk and just uh, plop in that question or any other suggestions you have, and uh, my producer, Mike, will try to get me uh, those questions. So you can also go to TalentTalkRadio.com, uh, the i 
iTunes uh, podcast or iHeartRadio, anywhere to listen to past shows, or you can come back and listen to this show over and over and over again if you really liked it that much. But let's go ahead and get to my second guest. Uh, we have uh, Raina Cohen first, uh, Vice President of Sales for Nature's Corpse International. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me here. I appreciate your invitation, and uh, it's neat to be hanging out with key opinion leaders such as yourself and Diana. Diana, I enjoyed listening to you, and I took some notes. Can't wait to read through your uh, your principles on sales. Yeah. So thanks again for having me. You have a lot of books. We have all have a lot of books if we want to get caught up with her. That's 46 right. was a wait. <laughs> I have so, one. <laughs> yeah. I'm still working on one. So I'm, at, least, at least you're ahead of me, right? That's good. That's good. So tell everyone a little bit about yourself and what you're currently doing sure sure well as uh, as you had mentioned i'm currently a vice president of sales for nature's crops international and i'm selling uh, a vegan source of omega-3 6 and 9 so one of the most nutritious plant sources of omega-3s out there um, i've been in the food ingredient industry for the past 17 years selling to the largest food beverage and supplement manufacturers in the world and i'm very excited to be able to impact consumer health and wellness at, at this time with uh, with our omega-3 ahi flour. I'm, I'm also a sales coach. So I studied executive coaching while I was working with a large multinational chemical company that owned a soy division um, about nine years ago. And I went to school to study executive coaching at the University of Texas at Dallas. I had realized during that time that I wasn't going to leave the day job to go into coaching, but that there was a much larger opportunity in combining executive coaching and sales training specifically for women. And so since that time, I've, I've done some coaching, but I've also written um, on Huffington Post. So I think that's how you and I got mm-hmm. connected. There's a blog on the Huffington Post that I write talking about sales tools and techniques for women and a book that I had recently put out, The Authentic Sale, A Goddess's Guide to Business. And even though it was an article written for women, it was still a good article that I chose to read. So uh, anyone, I think, can get some great get some great bits of information out of there, even if uh, you are a man. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so I definitely suggest you, you check it out. But uh, you know, obviously, someone does not get into your position without knowing a little bit about leadership. So maybe you can talk about what you kind of feel like defines you as a leader uh, and how you found the most effective ways to lead within your organization. Sure. Well, I'll have to go back to executive coaching for that answer as well. I think that what I had I've done since I had started managing other people was taking those tools and techniques and competencies that I learned in executive coaching. So coaching in a nutshell is knowing where you want to be, knowing where you are, and knowing how to get there. So knowing where you want to be would, would include your company strategies, your personal personal objectives, your your talent objectives and growth objectives, where you are would be understanding your behavioral strengths, your personality type, um, maybe your, I won't say weaknesses, but perhaps your opportunities for growth, and then knowing how to get there. So coming up with strategies and techniques to keep yourself intrinsically motivated um, and, and facing success at all times. And so for a leader, that would include a non-hierarchical uh, process that includes really looking, looking at your your teammates at your colleagues as as uh, as experts and helping mm-hmm. them with the tools and techniques to to be successful one of the fascinating things that i observe about a lot of people is they'll say you know i want to be up up in the company at this level mm-hmm. uh, whatever it is they want to be the the vp of whatever or a c level of this and then you say okay what do you know what it takes to get to there 
and and they don't, mm-hmm. right? They haven't looked at what was the job description, what are the requirements typically tend to be for that level position in their company or similar companies. And so they don't even know, they kind of know where they are and where they are is in the clouds, but they don't really know how to, what they need to do to, to get to there. They just think it's almost like I'm going to win the lottery, but I never actually buy a ticket. Mm-hmm. It's just magic's going to happen that, you know. So it, that's an important role that if someone can at least admit to themselves they need somebody else to help them, whether it's a coach or somebody, start identifying those things, then they can actually start to work to those those right. items, right? Right, absolutely. I mean, it's interesting because as a manager, you need to be consistent and deliver the same benefit regardless of, you know, regardless of who you're working with or who you're managing. And generationally, I mean, you've just described what people would say is the millennial generation. Mm-hmm. Whereas I, I disagree slightly. I don't think it's all the millennial generation, but you definitely see that mindset more than you would have seen with boomers or with Gen X. I mean, the vast majority of people I work with don't, um, don't think they should be someplace, uh, without knowing how to get there. It's usually the reverse. It's usually, it's really because, you know, again, I'm coaching uh, primarily women. It's usually really having the confidence and alleviating those those self-imposed limitations to get where you want to be and even stretch yourself beyond what your goal might be. But absolutely, when I'm faced with somebody who thinks they should be, you know, jumping up to a management rank or VP rank in less than a year, um, I'm certainly happy to provide the appropriate coaching to, yeah. to point out what steps might look like uh, realistically to get there. Well, one of the big things we see with the millennials is that they maybe quickly identify what are those things that they need to get to that next position. And so then they want to very quickly mm-hmm. get them done and then expect to be in that position, even though maybe there isn't an opening there. They really haven't had enough experience, but okay, I went and got my degree. I got this, I got this. Right, right. And they're also coming up against people like, you know, in my generation, the Gen Xers who feel very righteous about the work that we've had to do to Mm -hmm. get to where we want to be. And we're interviewing these guys. So, um, you know, I think it was probably us that taught our kids to act that way. I mean, I have a 17-year-old in college, and I think that's Generation XY. I'm not sure what generation that is, but they are yeah. they are amazing. I mean, that's going to be one of the strongest generations that we have coming out there because of the information they have access to and so forth, and having lived through economic hell. Um, right. But, um, but yeah, I'm with you. So you've written a few publications, mm-hmm. uh, written for a few publications about women in business and sales and leadership. So how do you feel... Um, that you empower other women to embrace their own leadership and become, you know, strong in their roles and in sales or other areas of business? Absolutely. That's a great question. So the book, as I had mentioned, it's called The Authentic Sale. It's essentially taking a look at various behavioral models, behavioral assessments, ranging from spiritual traditions such as chakra model to, um, to popular psychology, Maslow hierarchy of needs. And whereas at work, let me digress for a second. At worst, <laughs> at work, you might take a DISC assessment or a Myers-Briggs. Mm-hmm. This would be much the same thing. Looking at yourself um, in various uh, various models and then identifying where in the seven-step sales process your behavior lends to your strength. And then I take all of that and categorize it in, um, in goddesses as archetypes metaphorically. So for example, um, the goddess Artemis would be the hunter. She would be the, the saleswoman that prepares and, and really investigates and researches and comes with the details. Athena would be excellent at facilitating meetings and taking charge. Themis would be the seer, the goddess of strategy and seeing patterns. Um, so it's a fun book, but it really mm-hmm. takes all of the of the tools that you that women have read about for years from the the prevailing field of sales 
writers who had been men and making it authentic to themselves and to their particular strengths and the areas that they're not strong in understanding these are techniques that you still need knowing how to standardize them or shore them up or find resources that can help them with those and you probably didn't do this but when you're describing it for some reason i was envisioning a graphic novel like these greek goddesses like you know slaying down you know some sort of uh, you know some other mythological creature that you probably could have associated with well i'll show biases you. I brought and I'll you a book chris okay, right, so i'll good. show you some of the pictures <laughs> good, there is pictures good good <laughs> there are a few yeah i was immediately went to graphic novel i don't know why but i like it <laughs> So, you know, maybe we look at from a talent management perspective, um, you always want to see the talent around you grow and perhaps in most cases grow beyond what you thought was possible. Mm -hmm. You know, you can even have people, hopefully it can replace you, right? So you can move Mm -hmm. up and they can come in and do a better job than you did. So what are some of the ways that people can think about encouraging their direct reports to develop their talent or identify these areas uh, of expertise? Uh, You know, like you said, identifying where they're good, maybe where they have an opportunity to get better to really, you know, move people forward. Right. Absolutely. Well, again, coming coming back to really identifying your authentic behavioral type in a team, recognizing where people are strong, in fact, stronger than you many or most of the time, and, and celebrating that uniqueness so that the rest of the organization and the team can benefit from it. And I think that when you're really taking um, an appreciative approach to managing your team or dealing with your colleagues, identifying and calling out and celebrating people's strengths and encouraging them to to go further with it is really the type of positive uh, culture that any any salesperson or probably any professional would need to be truly truly successful. Mm-hmm. I've talked about the story before on the show. I won't repeat it, but there was this sort of light bulb moment for me when I realized there were things that I'm not good at that I'm not going to be good at. Right. I mean, I could probably spend a lifetime getting better at them, but I'd probably hate the entire journey to get to that point. And, but yet there were people in my organization who loved mm-hmm. those things that I was not good at. And they would be more than happy to take those off my plate and do them and do them extremely well. And and those are the some of the most simple ways if you can just align your people and make sure they're working as a team. And team doesn't mean you all sit in a room and sing Kumbaya and high five. That means... People who are strong in one area work on those things and other people work on other areas and they come together and bring the best, you know, sort of product for that meeting or ideas based on their strengths. Is that a, is that a good way of categorizing Right. That's it? an excellent way of categorizing it. I mean, and you're doing many things. You're, you're really helping a person not sh- spend all of their energy trying to do everything, but really focus on the area that they're best at, that they, that they like the most. So Mikhail Cheek sent me high, the psychologist who wrote about flow theory, says that people are at their best when they're completely engaged in their passion and their strengths and they're, and they're stretching to achieve something, um, something specific. And that's when you're going to be in that optimal state where time seizes, you're, you're no longer hungry, you're really focused on your job. So you're allowing people to get into their states of flow and inspire their teammates by seeing, in a way, sort of training them by example with how to do certain things. Um, and at the same time, you're getting the best out of people and contributing most to the organization. So I love, I love team collaboration and management. I think it's the easiest way to maximize the benefit of the people you have. Yeah. And one of the things we use internally is like uh, strengths finders. You mentioned disc, you mentioned mm-hmm. Myers-Briggs. I'm not a big fan of Myers-Briggs, but <laughs> I love disc and I love uh, strengths finders among some other ones, but just some mechanism to identify your people Absolutely. that you feel is somewhat viable. Um, then you can figure out where to, to kind of do that. Cause 
if you just sort of throw a dart, be like, well, you seem like you're a leader, go be a leader. And you seem like it, that doesn't, doesn't always work. People can have introverted people can have some really great strengths that you don't necessarily pick up on. Extroverts get away with murder, you know, so there's some really great areas in which you can kind of refine that. But uh, just in, in thinking about uh, the strength finders mm-hmm. and your own personality, you kind of seem like someone who will rise to a challenge. Would you agree with that? Thank you. Um, I do feel that I would rise to a challenge, and I don't know that that's something that might naturally be in my authentic strengths, but it's something that probably, to your point, you know, by default, after all these years of learning the hard way where my strengths were, so to speak, I've become that way. So yeah. I think that. You know, I started in my early 20s. I was in the military, and right out of the military, I started as a sales assistant. And so I had worked my way up and put myself through school that time with, you know, with a with a child and with a day job and all those good things. So the biggest thing for me um, during that period of time was getting the positive attention and reinforcement of leaders and managers and wanting to live up to the way they saw me. And at the same time, it was competing and challenging the people who didn't see me the way I wanted to be seen mm-hmm. and wanting to compete with them. So my intrinsic motivation had a lot to do with having to be a fly on the wall for a lot of years outside of becoming where I ultimately wanted to be. Right. That kind of puts you into that competitive mode and kind of raise an interesting question. You know, is that something that you learn or is it something that you're maybe kind of personality trait you're born with, you know, and I have seen people that maybe weren't that way to start, but then they become that Mm -hmm. way because they maybe channel into what they're really good at or they figure out what they're passionate about. It's really easy to not be... To not rise up to a challenge if you're doing something you kind of hate. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Why bother? <laughs> Why bother, right? Or you're <laughs> have like the worst boss ever or something like that, right? And you're not changing your situation. Right. It's pretty tough to, to want to rise up to a challenge. Absolutely. It has everything to do with the environment that you're in. And when your boss hates you... It's time to go. Yeah, and yeah. and and usually and usually your boss just hates themselves or hates hates their own world, right? And you're right. just you're just the the one that they just give it to, right? Right. <laughs> and then you get to you know really grow your other talents and skills that have nothing mm-hmm. to do with your job in your mind while you're while you're you know sort of dreaming during the day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and those are usually the kind of people you write down. And you remember. What are the things they did? Because I never want to repeat those mistakes when Absolutely. I become a leader, right? And we, we've all had at least one of those bosses. Absolutely. And you learn a lot from them. You wish you never had to go through it. But, you know, b- people come in here a lot of times will ask that question and they'll talk about the ones that really screwed it up, taught them so much. Absolutely. Like yeah. it, you could really see the effect that it had, mm-hmm. you know, by doing those things. So. Yeah. I wouldn't have changed any of them for the world. They were all great experiences. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I would say great, but they were all, all important. I would say important. Uh, okay. <laughs> right. So, uh, you know, the influence you have on your team can really directly impact the success they achieve, your, your company's success, the overall revenue and the things you're trying to, trying to accomplish. So how do you engage your direct reports to really buy into that overall mission of the company mm-hmm. and recognize their own you know, contribution to the greater whole. Right, absolutely. You know, I think that it has it has a lot to do with having the perspective of what your organization's strategies are broken down to your objectives. And every company that I've worked for at least once or twice a year is going to have you write, this, write your objectives and how they align with strategy. Well, I really like to have those objectives at my fingertips to use on a daily basis. Something in the way of, I almost envision an X matrix. So taking all those strategies 
strategies and bringing them down to actionable points, but really having you and your team identify with what your your mission is and what your company's mission and strategy is all the time. I mean, that's really going to be when you're seeing the big picture and focusing on your goal in the most positive way. Um, so I would say that it's just a matter of within the the uh, culture of of the group that I would be leading. It's just really bringing up those points again and again, and talking about what our objectives are, and really keeping focused on them. Mm-hmm. And you brought up culture, and that's really been a big buzzword for the last few years, and something that companies also really struggle to create something authentic, something that really connects with uh, their staff. So in your experience in business, what are some of the, the ups and downs that you've seen in the area of company culture? Okay, well, you know, it's it's interesting because ha- having been in an industry that's very much connected with consumer health and wellness, it's very clear for us to see how, how we benefit the greater public or what our sort of larger mission is. And I would say that that has a lot to do with company culture. So having been at several points in small groups and then much larger corporations, it's really a matter of how close we as a team, as a company, were to to consumers and to the end users um, and feeling really passionate about what we do. I'd say that when, you know, culturally, when those messages and objectives start to get broken up, where maybe we get a little too big or, or a little too complex within our own group to really focus on what on, on why we're there. Culture might be a little bit more challenging. But I think the, the key for a manager is to keep things positive within the group. So again, keep your group focused on what you're passionate about, what you're excited about, and what your mission is, even when the larger culture might who knows, for whatever reason, a reorganization or an acquisition or, or something that might put a little stress on a typical culture. Um, I think it's important to, to keep that, that sort of element within the group itself, and that helps to influence company culture. Yeah, definitely. Well, our last guest talked a little bit about uh, the importance of communication. In fact, that was kind of the, I guess, her, her primary message. So yep. how important is it to understand you know, and you, at least from your perspective on how to communicate. Sure. And it's it's interesting. She said a few things that it was hard for me not to jump in. And um, it, it was hard for me not to jump in to some of the comments that she had made and uh, and and offer my two cents. So thank you for asking. So I think um, I think communication is, is something that I address quite a bit in my book um, going First, to a comment that she that uh, Diana and you had discussed um, was you know, really how to respond to objections or how to come prepared with questions that people ask that you may or may not know the answer to. So first, I would agree with with Diana, and I think it was principle number, actually, I don't know, but one of her principles, which is have a list of questions, of answers prepared to questions that you're going to get from um, from people, from your colleagues, from your company, or from your customers if you're selling to them. Then, if you're confronted with a question that you, you know, you have to think about, or you don't know the answer to, or something that might put you in a, a negotiation perspective, Gary Carras coined the term "befriend time." So, one of the strongest negotiation techniques that he had talked about was really pausing your instinct to just jump in and answer a question. Mm-hmm. Take a moment, think things through, and try and understand really what people are asking you. Um, another technique that I talk about is reaffirming a question once you've heard it or reaffirming something that a customer has communicated to you or a colleague has communicated to you. So, for example, if somebody were to say, you know, I, I want to 
produce a product in three months. I might say, so what I'm hearing you say is you're expecting this product to be produced in three months. Is that correct? Oftentimes we speak and we don't know if someone's really listening to what we're actually saying. So reaffirming a question allows you to formally formally take the ball from somebody and let them know that they're, they've been acknowledged. Another thing it allows you to do is find out if your assumption is wrong. So they'll, they'll say, no, that's not what I meant. Let me rephrase that. And then the last thing I would say about it is listening. So the ability to listen when you communicate would be something that salespeople can be challenged with. It's certainly uh, not a natural skill for me as a interpersonal person. Mm-hmm. I would say that listening is as important, if not more important, than communication in any situation. Well, you pick up so much more when you're listening. Oh, is that challenging? Well, then can I get out the things that I need to say or that I need to to make sure the other person understands. But generally, if you can find a way to do twice as much listening as you are talking and let the other person, they'll just start giving you all those things that you wanted to get, but in this unfiltered kind of raw way. Mm -hmm. I believe it's Brian Tracy who said 80%, let them do 80% of the talking, the customer, Mm -hmm. or you do 20% of the talking. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. And I, I forget who told me this, but I remember, you know, when you go into a sales call, let the other person decide when it's time to actually start talking business. Mm-hmm. And that has been that one like little thing completely shifted all, you know, those sort of face to face meetings or even on the phone. Mm-hmm. People will sit and want to talk about their kids for an hour. Right. And you get down and you only have 20 minutes left and they go, okay, great. Where's the contract? Let's go. We're done. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Oh, all right. Right, right. <laughs> Instead of walking in and being like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to start the hard sell right away. Right. You know, and they sometimes they just want to talk about what they want to talk about. And it's it been amazing to me. We let them kind of control that in some ways. You're controlling it by letting them control it. but Right. So you're you saying know. let the customer control the conversation and yeah. kick in. That's a that's a, a generous approach. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you <laughs> I would can, give them a little time. You can still yeah. go, but, I, but I, I, I was totally skeptical of that uh-huh. approach and letting them decide when it's time to start. And when you go from pleasantries to right. business, mm-hmm. let them decide when it, let them say, okay, let's start. Mm-hmm. Generally, they don't go an hour, but that has been a huge flip, right? And that, but that is you listening to them because they're asking you're usually on their turf or whatever, and you're on their time, and yeah, they just start asking questions, and you go on forever. I mean, I right? Know, it, it, but it, no, I mean it's a good approach if it works for you, yeah. and it probably aligns really well with your with your style. I have um, something that I call a GBS or a general general benefit statement. I didn't write the GBS; it's been out there in the in the sales training stratosphere. But essentially, it's how to open a meeting, that pivot point between mm-hmm. the small talk and the meeting. And I think it depends on who you're selling to. So if sure. you're selling to a driver, they're not even going to want to talk about their kids; they're going to want to go right to business. But if you're mm-hmm. selling to someone who, let's say, is as interpersonal as you are, yeah, they might want to spend a good long time chit-chatting. So it's the, really that point when it's appropriate to pivot into that, you know, into the meeting and how to open the meeting with what's mm-hmm. in it for them in mind. Absolutely. I also kind of find most of the time it's a pretty good gauge on how interested they are mm-hmm. in maybe actually working with you. Because if you go, pleasantries are over in 30 seconds. Odds are great. They don't like you. <laughs> they're just, they're taking the meetings, they're taking the meeting, and they're going to look at 50 other people. And, you know, it doesn't always mean you're going to get the contract. Just because you have a nice, good, long talk, you may still not be where they want you to be from a product, service, or price standpoint. But, yeah, I mean, it sometimes can be a good gauge. I guess, yeah. if, you know. So I, I've had salespeople that want to walk in the door, and it's like 30 seconds in, they're already, here's my go, stuff, go go. go, go, you know, because they're, 
and then the other person's put off by that, right? They don't, there's, there's that opportunity to have a connection, find common ground. People like to buy from people they like, who they know, they understand that, you know. Yeah. And that, that we can't all identify ourselves, I guess, as Athena or... No, is Afro- no. Is Aphrodite in the book? Aphrodite isn't in the book, but you know, who yeah. is in the book is Demeter. So I okay. do have um, sort of that, that lover category but it's for mama bear so she would be uh, the needs assessment goddess or understanding and protecting your customer um i left aphrodite for a different book <laughs> <laughs> good good <laughs> well um, one of our favorite questions to ask you heard me ask it earlier was uh, is there a book that you're reading right now that you might suggest our listeners uh, check out yes so i have been reading the same book forever i read many books but the one book that i come back to again and again is think and grow rich by napoleon hill it's my favorite book and i always get something new out of it um, and it really helps put me in a positive mindset so mm-hmm. um, great book highly recommend for anyone who hasn't read it yeah it sounds like a great one uh, we'll definitely make sure we put that up in the in the blog and people can check out your book you've mentioned it already and we'll uh, also have that listed up there as well so people can click and and uh, go and buy it and read it and enjoy it um, really appreciate you coming on the show and coming down on you or actually coming up from San Diego sure. uh, to be in the studio with me today. Um, is, is there anything that you think we've, we've hit on that uh, maybe uh, is kind of a, a, a takeaway that maybe someone's listening and that they, if there's one thing they should have written down and taken away from our conversation, what would you think that should have been? You know, I think if there's anything and especially if it's someone just getting into business or kind of listening with the intention of learning something specific career wise, I would say that it has, you know, c- career and success has everything to do with, you know, again, your natural strengths and understanding who you are mm-hmm. and how what you can offer relates to a company's bigger picture. Um, and then, uh, you know, it's just be successful, man. Go after it. Have fun. Uh, have fun in yeah. your career. So, if people want to get a hold of you uh, and, and learn more, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, my website is thesalesgoddess.com, and uh, my email address is rena. So that's R E N A at thesalesgoddess.com. And you can find me on Huffington Post as well. I'm usually blogging weekly there. Right. So. Well, Rena, really appreciate being on the show, and uh, I'm sure we'll have lots more to talk about. We'll have you come back next year if you, you'll do that, and we can uh, get to everything else we didn't get to. Yeah, look forward to it. Thanks so much, Chris. All right, be sure to tune in at uh, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on Tuesday. Uh, na- next week, November 17th, my guest will include David uh, Darmstander, CEO and co- uh, co-founder of Datapath, and also Ashley Hewn, Director of HR at Guidance Software. So until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You would listen to Sound Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2.